The title of this message is Watch Out for the Minds. I want you to, to try to picture this scenario in your mind. It's, it's June 6, 1944, and you're part of the Normandy Invasion Force, Operation Overlord, D-Day. It just had a 75th anniversary. And if you're in the war at this time, you realize the might and the power of the German army and how well prepared they are as far as equipment and things like that. And you know that that Normandy Bay will be mined. It'll be saturated with mines. And, and we know what mines are. They're lethal, that a ship would nudge them and blow up and, and a lot of loss of life. So that harbor was full of those. I, I found this interesting clip. It's about the British Navy, but it, it, it explains the mine system that was on Normandy on that day. And it, it will open up a door and uh, an analogy, if you will, to what Paul is going to say to us. Let's watch. On the eve of D-Day, June 6th, the commander of the Allied Naval Forces, British Admiral Bertram Ramsey, revealed his greatest fear. There is no doubt that the mine is our greatest obstacle to success. And if we manage to reach the enemy coast without becoming disorganized and suffering serious losses, we shall be fortunate. The German minefield stretched 120 kilometers across the length of the Bay de Normandy and was 16 kilometers wide. It guarded the approaches to the beaches. When a ship hit a mine, the detonation would sink or seriously damage the vessel. The Allied plan was to clear ten channels through the minefield, two per beach. Each channel would be about 900 meters wide. Through these narrow passages would pour the invasion fleet's nearly 7,000 vessels. The Royal Canadian Navy contributed 16 Bangor-class minesweepers. The 31st Flotilla, led by Canadian Commander Anthony Storrs, comprised ten Canadian Bangors. Six of the Canadian Bangors were assigned to three British flotillas. The 31st would sweep with six vessels in an overlapping V formation, like Canada geese. Each ship cleared 200 meters to a channel width of 1,200 meters. Danboy carrying vessels marked each channel's boundary. German mines were moored to the bottom, and they hovered just below the surface. Cables slung on either side of the sweeper would cut the mine's tether. Normally, the mine was then detonated by rifle fire, but it was thought that the explosions would tip off the beach defenders, and it was decided to let the friendly currents drift the mines out of harm's way. By late afternoon on June 5th, the 31st started sweeping Assault Channel 3 leading to Omaha Beach. It was slow work. But by early morning on June 6th, the flotilla was less than two kilometers from Omaha Beach. The shore defenses did not fire. The passage was clear. The invasion could proceed. Following the invasion, the Germans used aircraft and e-boats to lay more mines. But the 31st kept sweeping and cleared 78 mines in the first week after the invasion. U.S. Admiral Alan Kirk commander of the U.S. Naval Invasion Forces, stated uncategorically the performance of the minesweepers can only be described as magnificent. A plaque 
on Omaha Beach commemorates the 31st Flotilla, who the British Admiralty commended for carrying out their onerous duties with efficiency, resolution, and cheerfulness. Truer words were never spoken. The expertise of the Royal Canadian Navy's minesweepers had provided thousands of Allied soldiers a clear path to storm the beaches. If you would have been on one of those ships, especially those landing craft, you wanted to know that those guys were in the right channel. From the Civil War to Vietnam, Iraq, Afghanistan, and all the wars in between, exploding mines have threatened humans with death and great bodily harm, and they're still in action today. It was just last week or so that they, it was a bomb that was unexploded in Germany. They just found it was still there from World War II. And I know Princess Diane was a real advocate of clearing the mines in Afghanistan because they were, uh, children would step on them and lose arms and legs and sometimes lose their life. But sadly, it's not unusual today to hear the news or uh, see it on the internet or whatever where an, an IED exploded and killed an American serviceman or service people and uh, either killed them or wounded, it, wounded them. But here in 1 Corinthians 11, Paul has faced a minefield, and he's trying to get the Corinthians to understand not so much what they want to do, but what God wants them to do. 1 Corinthians 11, 2 through 16, and this, this might seem a little foreign as I read it, but as I get into it, I, I hope that we can uh, unpack this today and, and really understand what Paul's trying to say. At first, he starts out, and he's diplomatic. He, he brags on them. I think that's a, if you're, if you're in a conflict or you're trying to resolve something, I, I think that's a good idea to, uh, to start with a little sugar, <laughs> if you will, and, and try to, to brag on them a little bit. I am so glad, dear friends, that you have always, you always keep me in your thoughts and you are following the Christian teachings I passed on to you. Well, they're not. They have some, but, but there's some that, the, that they're ignoring and he will get into that. But there is one thing I want you to know. It's like the good news, bad news joke. It's like Doc Ellis was talking about a little bit. But there's one thing I want you to know. A man is responsible to Christ and a woman is responsible to her husband. And Christ is responsible to God. A man dishonors Christ if he covers his head while praying or prophesying. But a woman dishonors her husband if she prays or prophesies without covering on her head. For this is the same as shaving her head. Yes, if she refuses to wear a head covering, she should cut off all her hair. And since it is shameful for a woman to have her hair cut off or her head shaved, then she should wear a hair covering or wear a covering. A man should not wear anything on his head when worshiping, for man is God's glory made in God's own image. But woman is the glory of man. For the first man didn't come from woman, but the first woman came from man. And man was not made for woman's benefit, but the woman was made for man. I like that verse. Without getting in any more trouble, I'm going to go on. So a woman should wear a covering on her head as a sign of authority because the angels are watching. But in relationships among the Lord's people, women are not independent of men, and men are not independent of women. For although the first woman came from man, all men have been born from women ever since, and everything comes from God. What do you think about this? Is it right for a woman to pray to God in public without covering her head? Isn't it obvious that it's disgraceful for a man to have long hair? And isn't it obvious that long hair is a woman's pride and joy? For it has been given to her as a covering. 
But if anyone wants to argue about this, all I can say is that we have no other custom than this. And all the churches of God feel the same way about it. So this first question that's raised by the Corinthians has to de deal with, uh, should a woman wear a covering on her head? Here's the minefield. Paul is going to try these, to tell these Corinthian women what to do. As a husband, how's that worked out for you? It's, it's all in how you say it. There's a difference between telling and asking. I realize that. But, but this, is, this is the minefield that he's entering into. Because he's preached to the Corinthians that we're all equal. And that God has created men and women equal. And we each have our own roles. Well, the Corinthian women were kind of changing theirs. And, and Paul wanted them to understand this. First, he starts out with the doctrinal foundation. Verse 2, now I praise you because you remember me in everything and hold firmly to the traditions just as I delivered them to you. But apparently there were those who had drifted away from his instruction and they were creating cliques and divisions within the context of the church and Paul could not have that. One of the things that he hammered away over and over again is you have to love each other. You have to be at peace. There can't be chaos or division within the context of the church. And that was what was happening there. And he was trying to keep that from happening, actually. So he mentions God's hierarchy. He reminds them of the command of God about the family. Verse 3, but I want you to understand that Christ is the head of every man. And the man is the head of a woman, and God is the head of Christ. He's starting out with this chain of command that starts with God the Father, then moves to God the Son, which is Christ, to man, and finally to the, to the woman. And he's wanting them to understand that this, this is the way God set it up, and it's not to be a, a, a hierarchy or a superiority or arrogance in God's eyes, the way that he set it up, he wanted them to understand that. And, but he did it to create order within the family. He had to set it up some way. And this is the way God set it up. He mentioned God's hierarchy, and then he goes to man's headship. Every man who has something on his head while praying or prophesying degraces his head. What that means is because a covering on the head is a symbol of, of, of submission, and it's a disgrace for the head of the home to wear marks of submission. That's what he was saying. And then he goes to woman's worship. With God's chain of command, it, it is fitting for women to cover their heads. This was to remind them that, they, that men were the authority and encouraged them to have an attitude of submission. One of the things, too, that I read about that culture, you, you have to take everything in context of the culture in which you live. And in this culture, in Greece, it was, it was almost against the law for a woman to question a man in public. Man, what a law. But that was in ancient Greece. And this is Solomon, Indiana, 2019, and we know that law is absolutely not in effect here. I just want to make that clear. And now that I've dug myself a small hole, I will continue to dig. <laughs> he goes on in verse 5 and 6. For every woman who has her head uncovered while praying or prophesies, prophesying disgraces her head, for she is one and the same with 
her whose head is shaved. For if a woman does not cover her head, let her also have her hair cut off. But it is disgraceful for a woman to have her hair cut off or her head shaved. Let her cover her head. He's being sarcastic here in a sense. And say, all right, if you're, if you're not going to follow God's instructions... Just go ahead and shave your head. And people in that culture, if they see you with a shaved head, they'll understand that you are in total rebellion. And you know what? And I I don't think this is only for women. I, I think this is for men and women both. Sometimes when we read the scripture, it pokes us a little bit with a sharp stick. Because we realize that that's not us. That we realize that we're not living as this scripture says and it, and, it, it, and it bothers us. And we have a choice. We will say, God, I, I'm, give, give me strength, Holy Spirit, to change this thing in my life. Or we rebel and shake our fist and say, man, God, you're not going to tell me what to do. I can do what I want, which is true. He gives us total freedom to do what we want. But then we, we've yammered about this incessantly for 20 years that it's the effects of that sin that we have to live with because we create consequences. So Paul, then he gives the biblical facts for his argument. The order of creation, verse 7. For a man ought not have his head covered since he is the image and glory of God, but the woman is the glory of man. A man created to be the glory of God is under moral obligation not to have his head covered. But a woman is to be the glory of man. God reveals his plan in Genesis 2.18. Then the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. Helper, it's the first descriptive term in the Bible used for a woman. And it does not come from the Hebrew word for doormat. It is not a term of inferiority, but of assistance And a suitable means, a counterpart, one who completes what is missing in man. God made woman for the man, not the other way around. Man was created first. Woman was derived to him to assist and complete him. Man is not complete without a woman is what the scripture is saying here. In the Hebrew, it's translated from the Hebrew word ezer, konegdo, when it talks about the woman Ezra meaning to rescue, to save, a lifesaver. Konegdo, to be strong. God gave woman to man as a lifesaver, to be strong in his life, to help him. The noun Ezra occurs 21 times in the Old Testament. Genesis 2.23, Adam says of Eve, This is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. The idiomatic sense of this phrase, bone of my bone, is a very close relative to one of us, or in effect, our equal. And that's what God intended, that she would be his Ezer Konegdo. She would be his lifesaver. She would be uh, his equal. I'm here to tell you this morning that I probably have said too much about my dear wife, Diana Marie, from the front. I, I admit that this morning. And, I've, and what has helped me is John Ray Scott rats me out. So that has really kept me in check. John Ray, God bless you. I, I appreciate that. This is, this is from my heart to you this morning. The reason that I am in this position where I'm at today, it was because of God that Christ came into my life. It was because 
of my wife, and it was because of the United States Marine Corps. They taught me what the word discipline meant. So um, you that have been there understand that. My son Joshua made, uh, had a quote years ago that's really stuck with me, and I do believe that it's true. Without a good woman, most men would self-destruct. Would, would anybody, would any husbands agree with that this morning? Because you know why, guys? We want to stay little boys. I would love to go back to childhood. I would love to go home to, to my house and have a room full of toys to play with all afternoon. I, it, it's crazy, isn't it? But, hey, it's the way it is. But God bless uh, my wife and women in general for, and I'm not here to, to go off on that tangent, but I will guarantee you this this morning, because in the whole scheme of things in, in Christendom, in the kingdom, there have been too many men that, that let down their responsibility that God put them in, and the woman had to take, pick it up and take it and move on. There are a lot of churches that are still open today because women stepped in the man's role because he shirked his responsibility, and, and I, I, I praise women for that. But nonetheless, it, 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 it still doesn't retract us from the God-given roles that God gives us in the way that it should be. But, but we realize that we know the way it should be, but it's hardly ever that way. We, we have changed, we've changed things. And, and, and sometimes, you know, we, we, have, we have changed them way too much. A lot of times we want to take what we think and adapt the scripture to fit our belief system where it should be the other way around. That's a major problem in humans. I think it's a major problem in, in a lot of places. It's a major problem in us sometimes. God created the family. He, he created it to be at peace, actually. And, and like I said before, he created men and women with comp complementary characteristics not one of superiority or, or arrogance, if you will. And then in verse 10, he says something that's interesting. He talks about the realm of angels. And, and verse 10, Paul almost bumps into a mine and almost explodes on him. Therefore, the woman ought to have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. So if, if you're a student of Scripture, you read this, and it appears that Paul contradicts everything he's just said. He's been referring to the head covering as a symbol of submission, but now he calls it a symbol of authority. But his point is this, that women are morally obligated to accept the male authority God has provided for them. The focus is on a woman's attitude, not the symbol she wears to express her submission. That's what he's trying to say. For God, the heart has always been the most important, a lot more important than appearance. Remember his words to Samuel when he went to anoint a man to replace Saul as king. 1 Samuel 16, 7. Do not look at his appearance or at the height of his stature, for God sees not as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Samuel looked at the other sons, and they were big and strong, and there was little David out tending the sheep. And he says, where's your other son? So well, he's just a kid. And the kid is who God chose. That, that's, that's the point that Paul was making. 
and with the heart. Psalm 139, the first four verses. David, O Lord, you've examined my heart and know everything about me. You know when I sit down or stand up. You know my every thought when far away. You chart the path ahead of me and tell me where to stop and rest. Every moment you know where I am. You know what I'm going to say even before I say it, Lord. And as you read on in that 139th chapter, David makes a profound statement. It's a statement and a scripture that I base all my belief in how terrible abortion is. David says, God, you knew me in my mother's womb. You knew me at the moment of conception. You knew me when my father's sperm fertilized my mother's egg. My name was David then. That's where I stand on that. And I'll never change my mind because that's what God said. That, That makes so much sense to me. So Paul then gives us the needed balance because you have to have balance. Paul has impressed us with the necessity of women to accept being under man's authority and to to prevent showing just one side of the story. Now he explains the other side, the evidence from birth, verses 11 and 12. However, in the Lord, neither is woman independent of man nor is man independent of woman. They need each other. For as the woman originates from the man, so also the man has his birth through the woman, and all things originate from God. A woman is an essential, invaluable part of God's plan. And in God's plan, men and women are equal, possessing different roles within the context of the family and within the context of the kingdom. And then he says in verse 13 through the first part of 15, he talks about evidence from nature. Judge for yourself, is it proper for a woman to pray to God with head uncovered? Does not even nature itself teach you that if a man has long hair, it is a dishonor to him, but a woman has long hair, it is a glory to her. Nature is an inner sense of the distinctions between men and women. He's not saying one sex is better than the other. They're just different. Paul tries to avoid splitting hairs on this head covering issue. He's saying that we, as believers, just because everybody in the culture does it, that we shouldn't behave like everybody else in the culture. Here's the problem with the hair in Corinth. I have told you this before, that in Corinth, it it was by far worse than any city that I can think of, at least in America. Because for their sexual appetite, they had male and female temples. And there were male and female prostitutes 24-7 in these temples. So if you had the urge to go lay with a man, all you had to do was go do it or with a woman. And that's the way, that, that's the culture that Paul was speaking into and trying to interject. Now, as far as the hair All the men in the male temple, the male prostitutes, they had real long hair. So Paul was saying, if you have long hair, Corinthian Christian, and you walk down the street, you might might 
have somebody proposition you. They might think that's what you are. So for the sake and the cause of Christ and to be the witness that you should be, you shouldn't have long hair. That's, that's what he's saying. And it was the same way. And the women, they had short hair. Their, their hair was real short, the prostitutes. And, and that's where this is coming from because he's saying, if you have real short hair and you walk down the streets of Corinth, there might be a man proposition you or say, let's go to the temple because of that. It, it all came down to the premise that you have to watch your step in your culture to be a good witness for Christ because that mattered more than anything else. That was, that was the point that, that he was making. These principles that, that Paul was saying, it, it really wasn't about the marriage relationship. It really wasn't about the role of women in church even. It was about behavior and worship. Not to cause divisions, but to do what God has called us to do and promote unity. A close, not tight-knit, happy family is what he was getting at. Because a lot of times, petty issues take our eyes off Christ and we can cause a lot of damage. You know, Paul addresses these explosive issues. He did it under the authority of God's Word. Our responsibility is to accept and obey God's Word. Here's a couple applications for us today for 2019. Hair and hats are not a problem in today's church culture not. I don't care if you wear a hat in church. It has nothing to do with your heart. It has nothing to do. I know old school, it was ill-mannered to wear a hat when you're eating. And I think this culture has changed that. I don't think it's a big deal. So that, that's not an issue anymore. Here's the first application. Matter of fashion and style are personal. It's, it's like I've said many times, I don't really care what you wear to church. I just want you covered. And from the man's perspective, it's a little distracting to look around and see a lot of skin hanging out. You get my point. That's, that's the issue. That, that's what he's saying. But as far as what we wear, it doesn't matter. God's not concerned when you come through these doors really about what you got on. Man, he wants to know what you're packing inside. He wants to know what's in that heart of yours. And he does know, as we've read. He already knows. And the second application is that our image, does it, put, does it portray Christ? In your speech and actions 24-7, does it portray Christ in your life? You know, I, I don't know your heart this morning. And it's like I've said a thousand times, we can come in this place and be the best actors in the world. I mean, we could almost give Oscar-winning performances. We might be dying inside, and we might have lived like hell all week. But when we come in here, we shake hands, and we smile, and we're fine. Well, with God, you're not. So, that, you know, that it comes down to how important this part of the, the ending of our worship services because it's my premise, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but God has said something to everyone here today, regardless of what that is. 
But it's our responsibility to act on it, whether it's to confess a sin, whether it's to apologize to somebody, whatever it is. But that's, that's what I want you to focus on, is what, what the Holy Spirit has, has said to you this morning and, and, and what you're going to do about it. I, I love you guys. This is, this is a great place. And I, I've been around a lot of other churches, but there's no place like this one. And I, I'm not trying to pump you up. I'm just saying the way it is that I, I have never experienced a, a body of Christ that is so accepting and loving and giving. You know, I, I don't want to be that. So I just want you to know how much I love you, how much I appreciate your hearts. And, you know, like I said before, I want what's best for you. God's best. That's, that's what I, I pray for all of you. Lord, we love you. And I just thank you for these guys. And I just thank you for your word and how it speaks to our hearts. And I know, Lord, it's tough being a believer. It is so stinking easy to be unruly and not listen. But boy, we get in bad. And then we have days that we don't feel your presence and we don't feel you, Holy Spirit, even though you're there, but we've ignored you and we kind of build a wall. We sing songs about busting down walls and chain breakers and all that kind of stuff. And that's my prayer this morning, that if any of us here is kind of at odds with you, that we come back this morning. Right where we sit, we can do it there. We want to come down here at this altar and pray. That'd be fine too. But it's just the fact that we're just honest with you. So God, right now, I just turn it over to you, Holy Spirit. Speak to us. We ask these things in your name. Amen.